The following podcast contains explicit language. If I, if I were advising people in this case, I'd tell almost anybody who had a, a lot to do with the transition, they, they might want to start looking for a lawyer. How's he doing on the trip? Yeah. Well, you know, I think he's doing, I think he's doing okay. From my perspective, having worked with the Trump campaign, I'd be stunned that they were organized enough to collude with anybody. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about President Donald Trump and his many misadventures. I'm Jamel Bowie, Slate's chief political correspondent and your host for today's show. President Trump is abroad for his first foreign trip. And other than a few gaffes and missteps, it has gone as well as one might imagine. This is a little bit of the soft bigotry of low expectations, but that's where we are. Thus far, at least, the president hasn't sparked any international incident or irreparably damaged the nation's standing although there is still plenty of time for both. Here at home, however, things are far from smooth. The Congressional Budget Office has scored the second iteration of the American Health Care Act and found it wanting. A total of 23 million people will lose their health insurance if it becomes law. And the president's budget, which decimates programs for the poor, is highly unpopular. Compounding all of this is an incident in Montana, where a Republican congressional candidate assaulted a reporter and now faces charges. He didn't want to answer questions about the health care bill. And then there's the ongoing drip of information on the Trump campaign's relationship with Russia. Trump may be staying out of trouble abroad, for the most part, but when he returns, he'll be mired in a mess that is largely of his own making. Hey, Trumpcast listeners, one more announcement before we get started with today's show. Are you a Slate Plus member yet? If not, why not? With Slate Plus, you could get Trumpcast bonus segments and ad-free versions of the show. This week, you can hear me chat with Laurel Rosenhall. She's a reporter at Cal Matters, and she wrote a great piece in this past weekend's edition of the California Sunday Magazine about Congressman Kevin McCarthy and why he's Trump's go-to man in Congress. So be sure to go to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus to join Slate Plus and get your ad-free versions of Trumpcast plus a weekly bonus segment. That's slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. Now, let's get to the show. To talk about President Trump abroad and at home, we have Representative Ted Lieu of California, a vocal critic of the president online and in real life. Hello, Congressman. Welcome to Trumpcast. Thank you. Honored to be with you. So, Congressman, uh, the first thing I have to ask you about is uh, prior to the president's trip abroad, you uh, created a little checklist for his first overseas visit. And for listeners, the checklist has uh, five or, or six bullet items. It is don't leak classified information, Israel equals an ally, Russia equals not an ally, uh, G7 is not a golf reference. Don't talk about a Muslim ban and uh, heads up for Pope Francis meeting. He knows climate change is real. Um, so, you know, we're a couple days into this foreign trip. How do you think uh, the president has been doing, uh, according to your checklist here? I actually had to send the president the checklist. I call it a cheat sheet again, because <laughs> he actually violated the very first bullet point about leaking classified information. Because when he was in Israel, he actually publicly uh, said that he never mentioned the term Israel when he leaked classified information to the Russians, thereby confirming, in fact, the classified information came from Israel. It was a monumentally stupid and dangerous thing for him to do. So I sent him the cheat sheet again. Hopefully he won't do it again. 
So sort of on this topic of, of classified information, I guess we're going to just, we're going to stick with this, this first point on the cheat sheet. It came out, I believe today or yesterday that officials in Manchester in the UK have decided not to share information or intelligence with the United States regarding the investigation to the attack uh, that happened. And so, you know, looking at that, do you think that that might be a consequence of the fact that President Trump just seems to be very careless with classified information? Absolutely. It was also reported that Donald Trump talked about the location of U.S. nuclear subs uh, with their Philippines president. Uh, that information was then reported publicly from that phone call. And the president should simply not be disclosing the location of U.S. nuclear subs, nor should he be giving classified information to the Russians, nor should U.S. intelligence be leaking information that they're getting from British intelligence, uh, the Donald Trump administration needs to get its act together when it deals with sensitive and classified intelligence matters. Do you see any particular, you know, overarching vision for foreign policy from the Trump administration? Is there is there anything you would identify as a Trump doctrine, uh, so to speak? Uh, in the first four months, uh, I can describe it in one word, chaos. You've got their incoherent strategy in Syria. And then when you look at North Korea, uh, you've got very provocative statements from the administration. You had Vice President Pence saying the sword stands ready. You had Donald Trump making provocative statements about the North Korean dictator and regime. We sent an aircraft carrier task force there. We're sending a second one there. We've got at least one U.S. nuclear sub there publicly disclosed. And then, right, a few weeks ago, the president all of a sudden says, I would be honored to meet with the North Korean dictator. So again, that sends a very incoherent message to North Korea and China and really to the world. And it makes it very difficult for world leaders to trust this administration because they don't know if the president will undercut his officials a week later. In addition, Donald Trump himself has a very unfortunate and dangerous view of foreign affairs. He says he wants to be unpredictable. That is exactly the wrong thing you want to be in foreign policy. The U.S. needs to be clear, unambiguous in our foreign policy. People need to know where we stand, what interests uh, we want to protect. And keep in mind, uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, I can guarantee you no one would have wanted President Kennedy to be unpredictable. So sort of on this topic of chaos and predictability and sort of clear direction right now, of course, the president is in Brussels uh, meeting with other NATO leaders, and he gave a speech today saying essentially that NATO members owe the United States large sums of money, that they are not kind of meeting their obligations under NATO agreements. And both of these things are sort of not exactly true. Um, NATO members don't really owe the United States any money, and there's no indication that they aren't on the on the way to meeting their obligation to contribute 2% of their GDP to common defense. But I'm curious to know what what you think about this, the, the president's approach to NATO, because of sort of his general foreign policy activities, this is the one that I find a little baffling. I'm not entirely sure why the president seems to have this hostile stance towards the, the NATO alliance. It is absolutely right that earlier on, 
he was very disparaging of NATO. But then, if you remember, he changed course and he started saying really good things about NATO. And then today, he changed course again and went ahead and disparaged them again. So you never really know where you are with Donald Trump, and that is a massive problem for foreign affairs and foreign policy. It makes America weaker. And his speech today was just really stupid because (laughs) what he's saying uh, can't actually be carried out because let's just be clear, the United States is not going to withdraw from NATO and the NATO countries know that. So he's sort of trying to exert leverage where he has none because in the world, we have one superpower, that's the United States and world stability benefits the U.S. way more than any other nation. So we are the primary beneficiaries of a stable world, of not having Russian encroachment, of not having other destabilizing things happen. And NATO countries know that as well. So the president basically said a whole bunch of stuff that just isn't going to come to realization. So it's not clear why he says it at all, because it just ends up making NATO countries angrier at the United States. No, what's so striking about that? And I was watching the the video of um, President Trump's uh, speech in Brussels, and you could could almost feel how uncomfortable everyone was uh, there. But what, what's so interesting is that it's a real contrast to uh, Trump in Saudi Arabia, where he felt very comfortable, or seemingly felt very comfortable. And um, I, I'm sort of curious if you noticed that at all. Uh, this kind of this difference in how President Trump feels with our with our NATO allies, with whom sort of we share basic values about democracy and 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 you know um, uh, human rights, and his is sort of discomfort with them, and then his seeming comfort with the the Saudi regime, which in a lot of ways you know we have this alliance, but in a lot of ways there are real tensions with regards to values. That's a, a great point you just made, and my view is that Donald Trump at heart is an authoritarian. That's why I think you see what you just pointed out. It's also one reason I resist him. You know, I can disagree with presidents on policy matters, if it's healthcare policy or tax policy. But what became clear to me was that Donald Trump is a danger to our republic because he is going after our institutions of democracy, from the free press uh, to the judiciary, to stifling internal dissent, to lying repeatedly, It makes it so that the American public starts to question, you know, what is true and what is false. And that goes down the road of authoritarianism. And that is a clear and present danger. It's not surprising to me that he would feel incredibly uncomfortable standing in front of a bunch of leaders of democracies. So to switch gears a little bit and kind of come um, uh, to affairs at home, uh, I, I, I think at least the big news uh, in terms of domestic policy this week is the president's budget and then the Congressional Budget Office's score of the American Health Care Act. How has the – in particular, how has the score of the, of the AHCA been received in Congress? How are your colleagues talking about it and thinking about it? Because from my vantage point, it seems as if uh, many Republicans are very loath to talk about what the CBO has found with regards to the bill. Well, last night we had an example of a GOP Republican candidate who would rather body slam a reporter than talk about the new CBO score. Uh, This nonpartisan CBO score is devastating to Republicans nationwide. 
it puts Republicans everywhere at risk of losing their congressional seat. The score confirms what many of us already knew. Trump care is a bigly disaster. 23 million people are going to lose their health insurance. Premiums will rise 20% by 2018. One-sixth of the healthcare market starts becoming destabilized by 2020. And many people with pre-existing conditions will have to pay more. And the CBO straight up says some elderly people uh, will have to pay, uh, have an 800% increase in their premiums. Uh, this Trump care is a massive problem for the Republicans and for the president. Do you think that, um, because Republicans in the House voted uh, voted on the bill before the CBO score came down. So now it's just sort of on their record. They have supported the bill. Uh, it's unclear uh, if the Senate is going to take, take it up or, or if the Senate will even produce a bill that's anything similar to the AHCA. How do you think Republicans are going to deal with this? Um, if, it, if, the, if the outcome is just this stark, um, how are they going to respond to voters on this? You know, I double, triple, and quadruple dare the U.S. Senate to vote for Trump care as it is, because that will also make it much easier for Democrats in the Senate to take back the majority. Mitch McConnell, however, is actually smarter than that. Uh, he has basically said that they're starting over because they realize what a big disaster Trump care is, and they're going to put forth their own plan. I don't know what that is. I do know it's being drafted by basically a dozen uh, white male Republican senators. So, you know, my advice would be, you know, you might want to get some diversity in there. Uh, but I haven't seen the uh, U.S. GOP Senate plan, so I'll, I'll wait to see what that plan is. But it's going to look really nothing like the Trump care plan that passed the House, because no one wants to be attached to that plan. Where do you think Democrats should go with regards to health care? I know there's a, a big push for Medicare for all, for kind of single-payer uh, approach to health care, but it seems like there is a lot of space now um, for Democrats to take a lot of different approaches. And where, where, do, where do you fall? How do you see? Um, I, I, I support Medicare for all. I support improving Obamacare. I am on Obamacare. I am happy to work with Republicans and Democrats to improve the law. Uh, any law can be improved. But to repeal Obamacare and replace it with something far worse is insane. Um, and so one, one last question. I'm just, this is something I've been asking people a lot because I'm curious to hear. Um, so you, you are a, a very vocal opponent of, of President Trump. Um, I follow uh, what you say on Twitter and you're a very vocal opponent on Twitter in particular. And sort of looking at the, the landscape of what you might call the resistance, who who are people that you are looking toward? Like, who are people that you are looking at? Who are emerging leaders that, that you are interested in and are following? So with every passing day, right, more and more people join the resistance, people like John Lewis and others. Uh, Maxine Waters uh, from Southern California, my neighboring district, uh, has uh, really uh, been out there uh, telling the truth. And the reason I speak up is because I believe we cannot normalize what should not be normalized. And we just need to call things as it is. It is very clear the President of the United States committed obstruction of justice before our eyes the last two weeks. He admitted it on national TV. Last Friday, the New York Times printed an account that he said he basically fired FBI Director Comey to relieve the great pressure off of him. White House does not deny that account. 
that is obstruction of justice. It's not potential obstruction of justice. It's not something that appears to be. It is obstruction of justice, and we need to call it what it is. I have been talking to California Representative Ted Liu. Thank you, Congressman, for joining me on Trumpcast. Thank you. And that is our show for today. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. If you'd like to keep in touch with the latest coming from the Trumpcast team, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, we're at RealTrumpCast. On Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash RealTrumpCast. Follow us and let us know what you thought of today's show. I'm Jamel Bowie. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back with more Trumpcast next week.